Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land and all of our friends who still tune in over there at Radio Soul and and iTunes and the different areas where you can check out off-the-shelf Book Talk Radio. I'm sitting here looking out the window, and it is another gorgeous weekend here in Atlanta, Georgia. So I want to welcome all of you, wherever you're located throughout the United States or from another country, tuning in this morning. We've had some awesome guests on Off the Shelf, and I get so excited because I always learn something from our guests. They They always bless me. They always bless me. So I am I'm so excited about today's show. We have a fabulous author on deck for you guys, and I'm excited to introduce you to her in just a few moments. But again, I welcome you to Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio. You are listening to a winning book talk radio show on Blog Talk Radio, Off the Shelf. And there is still time for you to go tell your friends, book lovers you know, you can do them this good thing and encourage them to tune into Off the Shelf, where, again, there's entertainment and education and information and insight, and you'll walk away glad you tuned in. You can let your friends know that they can still, there's still time this morning to check out Off the Shelf, and they can dial 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. You say, oh, I don't want to dial, I don't want to. I don't want to dial in. You can you can search Denise Turney off the shelf. Boom! Click on the link to the show, and you can tune in through the chat room. So there's uh, several ways that you can catch off the shelf, but there's still time for you to tune in. Before we go into introducing today's uh, guest, I started this again a little while ago, and I like to start with a thought that I just want to leave with you to to think about. And today's thought is. If it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you will find an excuse. If it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you will find an excuse. So, listeners, as I say on Saturday mornings, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? When I was a kid, I would love to watch TV shows or read books. And I was a voracious book reader, and I wanted to figure out who did it before the author told me or before the television show or the movie revealed it. What's going to happen? I wanted to know before it was revealed. If you're like that, I think you will love, love for over me. But even more so, do you love and value relationships not only romantic relationships, because there is a memorable romantic relationship and love pour over me, and also do you value relationships between families? There's a complicated father-son relationship and love pour over me. A lot of the readers start out absolutely hating the father in the book, but at the end you can see how he shapes his son and even the relationship his son goes in with Brenda and the how what made the father the way he was and how they impact each other. And maybe you don't hate the father so much at the end. He's been called a lot of bad names. But I, 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 if you value family relationships and a, a, re, a special relationship between a man and a woman and you want mystery, I encourage you to get a copy of Love for Over Me. If you don't see it on the sh- store shelves, all you have to do is ask the clerk. It's in ebook and print format. You can get it at Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, online, offline. Just ask the clerk. Say, I'd like to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order it for you and let you know when it comes in because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So I hope you'll go get a copy. Again, Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and let me know how you enjoyed the book. And now let us go and meet today's special off-the-shelf guest. And our guest today is LaShonda Bowman. Now, LaShonda is the author of the new book. This is her latest. She's written several. Her new book is Nobody's Child, and that's an interesting title. It's scheduled for release this month. And other books that LaShonda Bowman has authored include My Soul is Satisfied, then sings my soul, and he restores my soul. 
And you can keep up with LaShonda online at LaShondaBowman.com, and I'll spell that for you, L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A, and that's D as in David, so L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A, B as in boy, O-W-M-A-N.com, L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A-B-O-W-M-A-N.com. This is a great thing about Off the Shelf. Book Talk Radio. You can go over to her website right now. If you're near a laptop or you have your your smartphone or some device, you can get online and and explore. Look at the covers of her books, read her bio, and explore what she has at her website. Even as you enjoy today's interview, and I think there's something cool about online uh, talk radio. So. Stay tuned to today's feature interview and learn more about her and her books and what inspires her as a writer, even as you're at her website. So welcome to Off the Shelf, LaShonda. Hey, girl, you got to run wine for a second, though, because, like, now you got me wanting to read Love Pour Over Me. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, what? wait, what is this book? What's she talking about? I'm writing down the title. <laughs> Oh, well, we are so happy to have you here with us. And and you know what? We've had listeners. We, this is We're going into our 12th year, and I started this almost by accident. I was just trying to schedule an interview on a radio station, and the station owner said, why don't you start your own show? And I'm thinking, what? i got enough to do. <laughs> but now going into 12 years, so that's how this happened. I have been blessed by every guest we've had on, and I know our listeners do as well. So I thank you for being here, and I'm I'm excited to what you share intentionally and by accident. So we love to let our listeners know a little bit of backstory about our guests, rather than just starting talking to uh, them about their books, like somebody visiting you. You want to get to know them a little bit. So before we start exploring your books and your writing process, uh, LaShonda, would you please tell us where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, uh, I grew up in New Mexico, born and raised in the black church, uh, Church of God in Christ. So it's an interesting dichotomy because, like I said, you know, Church of God in Christ, for anyone not familiar, it is a traditionally black denomination. But New Mexico, especially when I was growing up, is predominantly white. <laughs> so it's oh. like, you know, I'm a part yeah, of this you know community. What? I thought just what? the opposite. I I, I oh, kid you yeah, not. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. It's, it's like kind of like living two lives, right? <laughs> because it's just so separate. In school, I was always the only black girl. Always. Sometimes in the entire school, not just the class. You know, then I go to, okay, let me just real quick say one thing. <laughs> I am having some issues with allergies today. You're fine. I'm try so People, hard. Don't you worry about not that. To... We've had guests okay. on that said, my voice, my voice. I'm like, girl, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm trying not to clear my throat and, like, cough and, oh, Lord. But um, anyway, so it, there was always that that kind of two lives, and I was actually talking to a reader the other day, and I was like, this is actually the first time I feel like with these books, I'm getting to write about, like, myself and the people I grew up with and who I know because and even when I went to, in, to college, I was a theater major. So when my track was in acting, but I did a lot of playwriting, but our student body, there was, out of an entire theater department, there was three blacks. So I was never writing for myself. I was writing for uh, the people we had there. So... <clears throat> This has just been so great, not only to to write about the people that I I know growing up, and even hear just the voices. You know, we talk different, we have a different cadence. It's just such a nice thing to do, versus, you know, I love writing whatever the subject matter, but it really makes a difference getting to write about your own family and your own community. Mm. So when you you grew up. Uh... You said you from from um, New Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have siblings? Did anybody? 
did any of your siblings explore writing? Your any of your parents? Uh, where did that seed for writing come from? And I heard you say something about writing in the theater. Was that something you think was just innate, always there, or was there a teacher or someone who encouraged you or inspired you to pursue writing? Oh, there was definitely a teacher. Ah. To this day, I love this woman to this day. Um, her name was <clears throat> Mrs. Longenbaugh. She was my first grade teacher. And like I said, I was always the only black kid, right? And then if that wasn't enough, <laughs> I did pretty well in class. So I'd always finish earlier. And I tended to um, be by myself. The area we grew up in, I'm, I don't know if I would necessarily call it the sticks, but it, it it wasn't we weren't in the suburbs okay okay and the school that the school that i went to um even though there wasn't a lot of minorities we weren't necessarily um academic well i mean it was a school so obviously education was important mm-hmm. but it really wasn't pushed in, in the home and okay. so kind of being like the nerd in class on top of everything else wasn't great, <laughs> but oh, so I okay. read a lot. Well, this teacher, this teacher, I, I tore through because I finished work early. I tore through all the books, right, because we had like this little shelf. Like each class had their own kind of library besides the main library in the school. And after I did that, she went out and spent her own money to order um, Let the Circle Be Unbroken by Mildred Taylor. Wow. Yeah, I had I didn't even know there were books about black people, much less that they wrote them, you know. And so after that, I was just like, whoa. And that was the first time I thought about, hmm, maybe I can make up my own stories. I didn't start writing right then, because mm-hmm. she was the first one that showed me that someone like me could do that. Wow, isn't that something? I think that's great. Some, we've had guests on who a teacher inspired them or their mother kept reading to them, or a grandmother, and, and it just sparked that seed. And some took it, started writing at, on a dare, like, you can't write a book. Yes, I can. <laughs> and some of them got started. It's amazing how we do get get our starts. Now, we want to talk about your books and, and, and your writing process and some other things uh, on today's show, which it goes so fast. I rarely get to all the questions, but I want to start by asking you, is He Restores My Soul, is this the first book in the, in the series? And why did you, okay, so you, you the teach, this teacher inspired you to start writing and you've written for theater, et cetera. Why did you decide to start with a series? Um, with this particular series? A series actually, altogether. Why would you, why, why would you well, do as a... The thing is, I actually had the idea for Nobody's Child a while back, but I, ah. I did before indie publishing. I didn't know because I I knew the traditional publishing was not an easy road anyway, and I thought I didn't see a whole in the Christian publishing industry. I didn't mm-hmm. see a whole lot of African American authors, and so even though I had the idea, I didn't you know really do anything with it. Then indie publishing came along. And I was like, now wait. But at that point, the issue was I had never written. I mean, I've written some short stories, but for the most part, I've done, like, student short films. I've done plays. It's a completely different medium. I sat down to try to write that novel. I was like, oh, no. Mm. Completely out of my depth. So I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just, maybe novel writing is just not for me. So I pushed it away. A couple of years passed. And uh, one of my sisters was like, why don't you start with novellas first? They're shorter, and maybe you won't be so as intimidated. And so I, we, you know, bounced some ideas back and forth. I came up with the idea for that one. But by the time I finished writing it, she was like, okay, but what happens next? Like, well, do they ever come across Omar? What, what goes on? So I was like, hmm. <laughs> so then I wrote the last scene in that. Went ahead and did the second one. When I was doing the second one, I started thinking about the the last two books. I had considered making them one, but then what goes on to happen in the third? I was like, I don't know. That just might be too much. Mm-hmm. 
so I just split them up, and that's that's why it's three novellas because at the time, ah. like I said, that was the least intimidating. Oh, and you that wasn't your you didn't set out to do that because some people set out to write a series because that's a good no. way to build to build a readership. You, you get the reader hook with the first book, then they're like, oh, I gotta know what happens to so and so, and then they get no. the second one, and they get the third one. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Can you give our listeners, uh, Lashonda, our off-the-shelf listeners, a brief synopsis of He Restores My Soul? Um, it's basically about three sisters who um, were raised in church. <clears throat> they had since left, not necessarily, well, I, I'll leave that out because I don't know people have different opinions, but they're, they're no longer are in the church, they come back to their hometown to attend their mother's funeral. And a lot of secrets that she had kept and that they had been keeping come out. Can you introduce us? I have a cousin with this this, this first name, actually. But can you introduce us? And I love this name. And I have to ask you if you thought about the poet when you named them. But can you introduce us to the Langston sisters? I did think about the poet. I did. Absolutely. A lot of my names, this is the thing, this is the thing. A lot of the names, I just, it's my way of, okay, for instance, I'm a huge, huge Mahalia Jackson fan. So mm-hmm. I named their mother Mahalia. I get to the end of the book and I'm like, this really didn't necessarily honor Sister Mahalia <laughs> because of the, the kind of character she is. So then when I got to the last book, I had to, like, put a, a little shout-out to uh, one of the songs that she did just because I was like, oh, man, this, this woman, I can't name her after one of my faves and leave it at that. So, But, yeah, definitely because of the writer. And just uh, I love the name. It's a great name. Mm-hmm. But the Langston sisters, okay, so we got the oldest one who is Pamela. Um, she's used to taking care of her sisters and kind of being in charge. And okay. because of that, to the extent she's done it for so long and to such extremes, she has a tendency to try to handle her own situations instead of giving it over to God. That sometimes oh. causes problems for her. Christina... Okay. Um, like all of all three of them are dealing with some major stuff, they just do it in different ways. For Christina, it was substance abuse, and oh. um, that kind of pull between how she was raised and what she's done since, and the struggle. Well, does God love me? Can God love me? Um, I don't. She. I don't even know if she wants to be loved because that means letting somebody in and seeing those ugly parts she doesn't want to show. And then there's Tamia, who's the baby, and um, she's a sweetheart. She just, she doesn't, she deals with a lot of anxiety, and she doesn't, which is something, that's something that I've dealt with. And so I, I knew her specifically, you know, what that entailed. And it, she tends to bend, build walls because it's something, it, in, it, it's changed. <clears throat> but in the black community, specifically in the black church community, when I was coming up, we didn't talk about things like anxiety disorders or depression or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that that's it. That's that's the three sisters. Now, how much older from the middle sister is the older sister? Is she like two, three? Are they close in age? We got, I think I put... <clears throat> Uh, Pam is like 39 Because the book Let's see from One to From book one to book two There's like a year difference And then the other two are real close So it's like it's just, The oldest one starts at like 39 Okay. And then Christina's 38 And then their youngest sister is um, Five years younger than Pam So I think she at that time is like 33 Yeah Okay. Now when the the middle sister uh, she's struggling, and we all, like my sister was saying, we all have our coping, our coping techniques, our coping mm-hmm. skills. Uh, she, uh, the middle, the middle sister, <laughs> did she not start abusing substances after her mother passed, or was she doing this even <laughs> while her mother was still here? 
just one minute. Sure. And while we're waiting, I just let our listeners know we are honored to have LaShonda Bowman on Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio with us. It's, that, it's coming up on that season change, and those allergies are messing with her a little bit. But we thank her <laughs> for being here with her and her patience and her diligence and her grace. But she's the author of the new book, Nobody's Child, which is scheduled for release this month. So you guys can look for that. And also, she is the author of the books, My Soul is Satisfied, Then Sings My Soul, and He Restores My Soul. And we're talking about the Langston sisters, and He Restores My Soul. And I wanted to ask you, so the middle sister, when did she start? Like, was her mother, after her mother passed, or while her mother was still here, was she started abusing she- stuff? <clears throat> she thought, well, first let me just say real quick, thank you so much for that little commercial break. That was so sweet. Oh. <laughs> that was so sweet. <laughs> okay. She she started pretty soon after they, once they all leave, they leave around <clears throat> 18, 19, the, the oldest two. Um, okay. After they all leave, she gets in, uh, eventually they're out on their own, maybe uh, two to three years after they leave, she gets her opportunity to uh, get into the music industry. And shortly after that, because like I said, even before their mother died, that what they're dealing with, they look at it as, okay, she's gone. We can go home, bury her, and put all of this stuff behind us. And really, it's just the beginning. It's mm. just the beginning. Uh, what is the concept for off-the-shelf listeners who might be interested in starting writing, whether it's a novel uh, motion, motion picture script or or theater. Where did you get the concept? Because if people can't connect with and care about characters, they they won't watch this TV show. They won't watch the movie. They won't read the book. They have to mm-hmm. care about the characters. So where did the concepts for each of these sisters, their personalities, they're they're different. Which I'm glad I asked you that because they're they're different, even though they're sisters. Where did you get the concept for their personalities from? See, this is interesting because most times I would not be able to tell you because <clears throat> by the time you get, you know, by the time you get to the end of the book, the seed that started sometimes is so, it's it's evolved so much that you're like, oh, I don't even know where to start. But this specifically, I do know. I was watching uh, Iyanla's Change My Life. Is that what fixed my life? Um, mm-hmm. The Pace Sisters were on there. I'm a fan of the Pace Sisters. I was watching it, and I just thought it it was so interesting because, you know, we see people all the time, whether they're celebrities um, in the secular world, celebrities in the gospel, Christian world, whatever, and we we make assumptions, not necessarily good or bad ones, but you just make assumptions that, oh, yeah, she'd be this kind of person, or she'd be that guy, we'd be cool, we could hang out, whatever. It's like we really don't know anyone or what goes on in anyone's house. And I remember yeah. thinking that as I was watching it, and all of them, I, what, I think it was five sisters that were on there. Every single one of them dealt with what they had endured as children in a different way. Mm. And I thought how interesting, not only that they were, their reactions were different and affected them in different ways. And um, no, I don't know that anyone, well, I don't know because I didn't know them growing up, but anyone that maybe had attended the same church or anything like that, I, I don't know that anyone even knew what was going on in their house. Mm. And I found that interesting, you know. So that's where that started. <clears throat> as far as the sisters, I just knew I, I needed, for the purpose of story, I needed uh, certain archetypes. And so... Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Who, that's a, was that not Carl Jung... I forget who was came up with that concept, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, that, that's I just knew I needed to have someone that, and you know, it's just basically how life goes. If you have, um, I have three sisters of my own, so I know that you take on certain roles at certain times for certain reasons, and so I didn't see it that it would be any different with them. So. Okay. Now, how widely known or established is the Langston sisters' mother, Mahalia Langston, in the gospel music industry? Is she 
is she up there? Like with Mah- Mahalia Jackson, was if somebody tried to imagine her, or Tremaine Hawkins, Yolanda Adams, how widely established is their mother in the industry? I would probably compare it to now. This this was not this is not who inspired me. This this was no kind of connection. Please, all y'all listening, do not <laughs> <laughs> make any connection because there is none. I'm just trying to answer a question, but I would say that her um, her place and her position in the gospel music community would have been similar to Maddie Moss Clark, okay. the mother of uh, the gospel singers, the Clark sisters. She was um, a minister of music in Church of God in Christ. She, you know, worked with choirs all over Um it might have been all over the world. I know definitely all over the country. She recorded albums, mentored a lot of musicians. You know, there's a lot of uh, R&B artists that have come out of the black church that directly yes. draw, yeah. you know, they connect back to the Clark sisters who in turn were taught by their mother. So as far as what she did <laughs> musically, that's who I would compare her to. But again, I'm making no comparison right, to the right. anyone to misunderstand and think that there's the no. You know, you're making me more and more interested in your story. Again, when you dive into characters, and the author knows their characters, you're you're talking about your characters, and you're making me feel like they're real people. And I've interviewed a lot of guests on the show, but when you really know your characters. I think that goes a long way. Now, is the Langston sisters, is their father active in their life? And is, see, their mother's a gospel singer, so I'm, I'm assuming she travels a lot. Does she take her daughters with her? Is she a, a very real presence in their life when they're little girls? And is their father active in their life? Their father is not active. <clears throat> She's. Mm-hmm. Very active, but I don't. I don't want to talk too much about her right. relationship with them because that is like the cornerstone things in the story. Um, as far as what you were saying earlier about knowing your characters, and this is this is one of the most common. And I I'm so grateful for the the readers that write to me and that message me on Facebook or leave comments. And the most common thing they always tell me is they seem so real. I actually found myself praying for them in their situation when I was away wow. from the book. And I have to be like, wait a minute, they're not real, they're not real. Um, but I think as far as, in, and again, I'm talking to someone who already knows, the most important thing is your characters because they have to care about them to keep reading. Yes, yes. And they're not going yes. to do that if they don't. And so unless they are, you know, three-dimensional and all that other good stuff, it's just it's not going to work. Now, you, you said the father's not active. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't want to give too much of the story away. And the mother, but were the father and mother married? And how does she manage, Mahalia, to manage, raise her daughters, be active in their lives, and maintain this gospel music career? How does she pull yeah, that off? Yeah, they were... They were they were married, and there is a story behind that too. Which <laughs> let me tell you this one thing: this is not what you asked, but this was very interesting to me, at least. <laughs> when I start, when I wrote the first book, he was not. I knew that she had married him, and that he was gone. That's all that I knew. Whether she had died or just had left, or what, I didn't really know too much. Um, I didn't think I needed to. Then I get to the third book. This is as far as um, writing process. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but sometimes when I get stuck, I'll dictate um, instead of typing or writing by hand. And so I'm just talking out this thing. Next thing I know, man, we got not only the entire history of the Langston parents, but how it directly, that became like a major part of book three, which like that was one of the reasons three versus just two, because there was so much behind that. 
And it's just interesting to me that sometimes it's almost like, I think, was it Michelangelo that was talking about um, he doesn't actually create a sculpture, he releases it from the stone. It kind of feels like that sometimes when you're writing. It feels like you're an archaeologist and you're, like, digging up these facts and histories instead of making them up. And um, Mm. I just thought about that because you brought up the dad, and I remember at the beginning not really giving him. To me, it was always the sister's story and their, their relationship with their mother and how that just literally colored their entire lives. Not realizing he was such a huge part. And it kind of happened for them, too, because they're thinking, oh, it's all about her and all this stuff. You get to book three, and you're like, whoa. You find out all these issues and problems in book one stem back to him. And uh, I just thought about that because you brought that up. Now, one reviewer said uh, the book He Restores My Soul is a page turner without being artificial. Now, I wanted to ask you, how are you able to build authenticity into your novels while sticking to Christian themes? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, when I'm writing, I'm not thinking about making it Christian. I'm not thinking about it. I know some people think you should go into a story with the theme. I don't because I, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to do that. Um, but I just try to write a story that isn't boring, <laughs> and then whatever happens afterwards. I mean, if I do anything intentionally, it would be, I guess, during the editing site. I don't do a lot of changing from uh, what I I write down the first time to what you actually read what I put up on Amazon. Very, very little. I would say maybe 10%. Um, I don't Maybe it's because I think about the story a lot before I write it. I don't know. Ah, okay. It could be that. Very interesting. And now about two weeks after He Restores My Soul was released, you came out with Then Sings My Soul. I had got to ask you this. How in the world do you find the time to Punch out a novel so quickly. Okay, now wait, wait, wait. Let me say, this actually goes back to what you said at the beginning of the show, your thought for the day. Um, When you talked about if you really want to do something, you'll do it. Well, first of all, I get up at 4 every morning to write. Because the, yeah. (laughs) I get up at 4 every morning to write. Now, I am not a typist. I have never been a typist, so... Uh, a lot of times what I'll do is either I'll write by hand. Um, usually not the fold-out prose. What I do is kind of think about, I know I have to have certain things. You know, there's certain things you have to do in a scene. You need to uh, either positive and negative, negative to positive. You need to have some kind of conflict. You need to have uh, a goal, the motivation, all that stuff. So I work all that out in my mind, kind of put it out, decide what beats I want to hit. A lot of times I will dictate it because I, if I if I typed, like I, I know that's probably how most people do it, but if I had to type an entire novel, like the one I'm getting ready to put out is eighty thousand, a little over eighty thousand words. There's no way. There's no, I, that book wouldn't be published until like this fall, maybe, because I can't type. <laughs> but so one of the things that I do as far as speed goes is that I I dictate. Oh, yeah. And I have to, if I'm going to publish at any any sort of speed at all, I mean, not even rapid speed, because that, that was a unique case, those books coming out two weeks from each other, and we can talk about that in a minute. But um, I'm going to try to get something out, like, every two to three months. There's no way that happened if I didn't dictate, because besides writing, I also... At the moment, this is going to change soon, but at the moment, I do my own editing and I do my covers. I wouldn't, there's just no way if I didn't dictate. So, you know what? There's that. You are the first guest, I I think, who said they do dictate. I know character sketches, outlines, 
mm-hmm. journaling, di- different ways, or just writing anything every day to keep yourself going. And something can uh, seem, like you said, what the Father can just punch out of nowhere out of your subconscious because yeah. I think that's what we predominantly write with. But you're the first one who says they dictate uh, – uh, I can see already, I'm not going to get through all the questions, but I definitely want to talk about Nobody's Child. But before that, could you introduce off-the-shelf listeners to some of the characters in Then Sings My Soul who are not in He Restores My Soul? Okay. Uh, we have Omar Williams, who is was the first love of one of the sisters, the Langston sisters. There's his friend, um, Brock, who is a mess. And there is Omar's ex-wife, Marissa. There's also his daughter. He has a little girl who, that's another one. We just love little Chloe. They really love her. <laughs> she doesn't say much. Little she Chloe. doesn't say much. But How old yeah, is she? They love her. She's five. Oh, five okay. or six, something like that. She's five or six. She actually, I have um, my niece, my baby niece, the youngest one, is five. She's like my soulmate and my nemesis all at once. And um, Chloe actually, people assume, oh, you let no. Unfortunately, Chloe and my niece are nothing alike. My niece is like, she's like Big Bang Theory their early years. <laughs> <laughs> She's very, very smart, kind of suspicious. That also could be our fault. But Chloe's just such a sweetheart, and maybe that's why people love her so much. But, yeah, I think that's all the characters that are in this. Yeah, that's all the main characters that are in the second book that aren't in the first one. And what's happening at the start of Then Sings My Soul? The start of Then Sings My Soul opens a while after the end of the first one. And uh, this is probably going to be somewhat of a plot spoiler, but um, Christina has recently come out of rehab, and Mm -hmm. she's starting to go on the first major tour she's been on in quite a while. And um, because of all the changes that have happened in her life, She's trying to maintain her privacy as she works through some of these things, and she's finding it difficult because at the same time there is um, one of the music networks has a reality uh, TV camera crew following her, documenting Mm. the start of this tour. So, um, yeah. Now, does does the entire story take place in Atlanta, there is so much centered around Atlanta these days on TV, et cetera. But does the entire story take place in Atlanta, Georgia? And if not, where where else? Where are some of the other locations that the story takes place in? Book Book One is in Dallas, Texas. Book Two is primarily yeah is in uh, Atlanta. Book Three is back in Dallas. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. When did Christina? How old was she? when she decided to start following in her mother's footsteps as a gospel singer? I know you said she's coming out of rehab and then well, sings my soul. But... Well, she, she's a secular. She didn't sing gospel. Um, her, oh. So she actually raised the girls to their mother. Pam describes her as, um, in the funeral in the first book, she describes her mother as Josephine Jackson because she's a female Joe Jackson because from the time they were small, she has been training them to be like these intense kind of rehearsals. She had expected them to follow in her footsteps. They didn't. Um, they went, like I said, Christina goes out and ends up getting a, a record deal. Her sisters sing backup for her for quite a while. Pam eventually moves out of singing backup to becoming her manager. And, um, yeah, she, it, okay, and if I was going to compare Christina to someone as far as, her level of success, I would mm-hmm. definitely put her Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, that, wow. that kind of thing. Also, she's really taking off. Yeah, privacy, I can see where that would be an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see that. If she's got that much, um, she's out there in the public eye that much. In this second book, Then Sings My Soul, do the Langston sisters start to heal? Do they begin this healing process, this journey, after their mother has passed? 
they actually they actually started in book one. It's kind of like the entire series trilogy is about that, but it's kind of it. I would say the biggest breakthrough in book one comes for Christina, and then okay. um, in book two, it's actually it, it's interesting because it's it's always about the sisters, and she also has she grows even more and has more breakthroughs in two. But two, I think the major breakthroughs happen for Omar and the people that surround him. And then when you get to book three, um, Pam, who you think, you know, Pam kind of got it together. And even when you find out some stuff that goes on with Pam in book one, you see she's come out of stuff, even some things that Christina didn't know about because Christina was, you know, too high most of the time to know what was going on. But then you get to book three and you're like, oh, Pam still got some things that need to be worked out. And her and Tamia, that's, I think it's more their story. I don't know. Oh. I'd have to ask someone that read it to see what they thought. But I kind of felt like it was more, she had her big breakthrough in one. They have theirs in three. Now, are Christina and Omar, are they still a couple in the the book, My Soul is Satisfied? And if not, what's going on with Christina and Omar in My Soul is Satisfied? Well, yeah, the um, two is primarily about them coming together. And three happens, like, literally the day after book two ends. So, yeah, they're they're still together. Um, they're dealing with the kind of things, though, that usually tear people apart. So, and, and it's not like, like I said, two majors on their relationship. Three is not really, and this is another reason. I, for the most, I haven't really heard anything about, um, it, it being a problem that it's three different shorter books. But I did see on Goodreads one, one person, she was like, I don't know, I, I wonder why she didn't just put them all together. I would have liked her to put them all together. I think once you read through all of them, some people may disagree, but I think once you get to three, you see, well, they do kind of focus on, if I'm not like the book that I'm writing now, it is focused on one character. Okay. Changing, shifting my focus from, uh, we're looking at about six different characters and getting yeah. a deep point of view on each one of them. That's just too much for one book, right. I think. Um, and that's why, to me, it just seemed better to split those up. But, um, yeah, and I, I don't know if I even answered your question because I don't remember what it was. <laughs> no, I was asking if they were still a couple, and my soul is satisfied, and you did answer. You said mm-hmm. they are, but they're going through some things. They're going yeah. facing some challenges that would break a lot of couples up. So saying that leads into my next question. Without giving the story away, what are some of the challenges that the Langston family is facing in in, in the book My Soul is Satisfied? Oh, a crisis of faith. You know, sometimes things happen, you're just like, well, why? And even what, what do we do? I think one of the major things is, how how far do we go in believing God? There's some people that would say, you know, well, we'll believe God up until this point, and then, you know, we need to figure it out for ourselves. Or, um, you know, I'm just going to trust him all the way. The word says what the word says, and I'm going with that. And so it's kind of that, that back and forth, that question, how far does our faith go? How far can our faith go? That kind of thing. Um and also, and this is something that's in all three books, always the question of um, what what can I expect? Like sometimes if you've gone through some stuff, now their lives are pretty extreme. But even small mm-hmm. things, there's a, a, sometimes a person says, oh, I don't know, I'm overweight, guys, don't look at a girl like me. Or, oh, you know, I... I'm a recovering alcoholic, a woman wouldn't be interested in a man like me. And I think sometimes we cut ourselves off from the good things that God can bring to us because we ourselves feel like we don't deserve it. And so in different ways in all three books that's explored, you know, God, it's my belief from what I have read in the Bible, God wants more and better for us than we could even imagine. But right. not a lot of us believe that because it's not, it's not easy, especially, you know, depending on the family you grew up in or sometimes even the doctrine you've been taught in church, 
you feel like, well, I don't deserve that, or God wouldn't do that for me. So wow. So their face, they're they're dealing with that now. I have to ask you this, Christina. She's she's really gone big, and she's coming out of rehab. Is that you would think? Some people think, well, once. I, I take the talent I was given and I use it and max it. I mean, really use it. Then I'll be satisfied. I'll be happy. Is is Christina once once her career takes off? Is that enough to satisfy her? And she's got Omar, or is that still not enough? Well, I think by the time we meet Christina, I mean she's still a name. She's still famous, but there is that decline. You know, everybody, all the careers we've seen. Well, there's some people. We got some people like Miss Patty Patty Taylor Bell going to be Taylor Bell forever, you know. Like I don't know if Aretha Franklin. Be a I mean, right? They're just exactly. Be, yeah. Yeah, but there are most careers you kind of get to that peak, and then it, it might be a slow fall. It might not. <laughs> you know, right. But there is there. She at one point says to someone, you know, there's more people that don't know me now than do, which that's a change because ah. there was a point in time where. Everybody knew who she was. You couldn't, you know, turn on your TV, listen to the radio, and not hear her. So I think that's part of the reason she's at the place where she really is open to these changes and to getting better and to doing better because she's had all that. And she's not where she used to be. And she realizes, okay, it's not enough to satisfy me. It's not, it doesn't fulfill me. So now what? And with all the things that I've done at this point in my life, can I expect to have those things now? You know, I have to ask you, though. I know I don't want to give too much of the story away, but Christina, when she was at the peak of her career, was she satisfied? Or does she now say, I thought it would last forever? You know, we we have things that happen and we think, I thought I would stay in that spot Forever, and it could be like you said. It doesn't have to take fame. You could say, "I thought my grandmother and my grandfather would be well and here forever. I thought I could always go visit them, or my aunt, or my uncle, or whatever." Um, my mom passed when I was real young, but some people, you just think, "I thought this situation would always be this way. I thought my brothers and sisters would always be here and always be well." And then something happens, and you're like, "Whoa." I, you you see that it everything in this world changes, and then that causes a shift. Does she feel satisfied at the peak of her career, and she's fine, and then she starts no. to look at things differently when it starts to drop off? No, and actually I think it was the opposite. You saying, you know, you think it will always be this way for Christina, and um, <clears throat> anyone that's read it will see the, the lives that they had I, the the way that she reacted to it, she had just gotten so used to it being so bad. She thought that's the way it would be forever, you oh. know. And so even she she never really knew happiness outside of the time she had with Omar. It it really wasn't a reality in her life, and I don't think it's giving anything away to say she never was really at that point at any point in her career was like, oh, this is great. This is she was the kind of person that would go to bed at night thinking, okay, God, if I don't wake up in the morning, that's fine with me. She was the oh, kind of person even that at the would, height she'd of her have career. that hit. Yeah. Okay. She'd take a hit and think, okay, this might be the last time, and I was okay with her because she just didn't see it changing. She didn't see it getting any better. And oh, so it's so interesting okay. that you said that because that that's how she is, only instead of things not being as good, it was more a matter of not seeing things getting any better. Ah, okay. Do any of the characters in the Langston book series that we just talked about, do any of them appear in your new book, Nobody Shall? Yes. Now, see, now that was calculated. You were talking about earlier, like, well, you know, did you write it because then it makes serious because it makes people want to read I would, like I told you, I had thought of Nobody's Child first, but it was too intimidating because it was so long. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, if I'm going to do these novellas, then um, I'd like to have Robin, Robin Jones, who is one of the main characters in Nobody's Child. I thought, well, I should put her in She another one. She probably took up uh, – her part got a little bigger than what I had initially intended. 
but it worked out because I, I think that um, it'll be easier for people to get into. Oh, let me tell you about this nobody child. This is the thing. Like I said, <laughs> I'm used to writing. Girl, I am not used to the, the pacing. It's All of this is a, a learning experience for me. Again, something you know, the pacing of a short story, a novella, and a novel, three different things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. And the the Langston books are like rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. And then right. Um, whereas this one, it, you know, it, it's slower, it, it unfolds more. And, um, yeah, this was an interesting <laughs> this this was a challenge, but that's good. That's good. And then you know you got stressed a little bit, and you stressed yourself, so that's that's good. <laughs> can you can you give our off the shelf listeners an overview of Nobody's Child? Nobody's Child is about Michaela Dawson. She's a 19 year old girl that um, decides she 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 was abandoned as a baby. She wants to find her mother. Uh, she wants revenge basically because she feels like these things that happened to me wouldn't have happened had she not abandoned me. The problem is she goes, she sets this thing in motion, then she gets to know the woman who in this case is Robin Jones and realizes she's made a mistake. But by the time she realizes that it's too late, the wheels are turning, things are happening. And, but that's just getting you to the middle of the book. A major thing happens in the middle that just flips everything on its head. And I'm not going to even talk about that because I don't want them to know. I want them to read it and be like, what? So I'm not going to even go any further than that. I'm going to just leave it right there. Bam. So her mother abandons her (laughs) and she's a baby. Is she an infant and does her her grandmother raise her or an aunt who raises her? she leaves. She leaves her now. Look, you gotta make me tell stuff. To me, no, no, no. I don't, I don't, just, just, she, just tell what you feel. She okay. She leaves her with the Michaela is left with a uh, a friend, an old friend of her mother's grandmother. So while she knows her, she doesn't know. She knows just enough that she's able to tell Michaela just enough that Michaela can go and search this woman out. But then there's also this issue of, okay, because she, she meets her and she turns out to be different than what she thought. She assumed she'd be a horrible person, and she's not that. But then she can't get past the fact that she knew where I was at this whole time. She knew where she left me. I didn't go anywhere. So why didn't she ever come back to me? So, but there's there's reasons. There's always reasons in my stories, and then you find them out, and you're like, oh, oh god. Now, what you are know you what? Doing? You know what? I would eventually like to be. You know what? I would eventually like to get. I would like to get as as good a storyteller as like say Shonda Rhimes, because this is the thing. Thing coming out of Shonda Land, because you know they market the whole thing as uh, the OMG moment. Everyone always trying to make it sound like their stuff is going to stop you in their tracks, but she actually does it. Wow. So as as I continue to become a better writer and storyteller, that's that's my goal. To I, mean, I don't mean just messy, but I mean tell the kind of stories that people have to go tell their friends about because they're like, girl? Yeah. Wow. Now, what are you, what are you doing to, to get the word out about nobody's child? Here as we come down to the last minutes about the shelf for our listeners who might be writers and want to get some tips and uh, some resources they can use to spread the word about their books. Or they might be a small business owner. How do I get the word out? So what are, what are some of the things that you're doing to start to spread the word about Nobody's Child? Uh, I have not done anything to spread the word about Nobody's Child. I haven't done anything other than, I mean, I'm writing it. And I, t- I mean, I put it in the back of the the other books that it's coming out, but I haven't. That's a good. That's a smart move. Yeah. Yeah. It gives people a little. The, I mean, I put the cover. Yeah, yeah. It definitely there's there's an excerpt from it. There's, <clears throat> like I said, it hadn't even finished written this, so I had to come up with an excerpt and then description, and then on the Facebook page I put cover the cover for it. Um, 
yeah, that's that's what I've done. Yeah, and they well, people say usually six months before the release. You you're pumping these books out fast, but to start to uh, market it some kind of way to start to get the word out, whether it's if you have a newsletter or email blast or start tweeting about it, hey, guess what, so-and-so, look for this character, boom, boom, boom. No, you know, that would be, that's a, those are all excellent ideas, which I will probably do the next time I write something. Um, that This book has been a problem child for reasons that we don't even got time to get into, but it's, <laughs> I haven't really done anything. Real, like, if it was just me and you talking, girl, we could talk about this all day because you understand because you're a writer. <laughs> but, um, you know, I really, I, my only, I've been so, I haven't even posted on my Facebook page in like two weeks because uh, I've just been writing this book. <laughs> Is there a character in the book that, uh, that you think, because I, I heard Walter Mosley say this, and I said he is so right, and then I heard two other authors say it. Writing is predominantly subconscious. So is there a character you think is stirring something up in you which makes this book a challenge? No, actually, no. The problem with this book is the same problem I had with the third uh, Langston family book, which was that I did not outline I have some romance writer friends that just told me it would be so brilliant for me to learn to write by the seat of my pants because it's so free and it's so wonderful. And so I did it. And it just does not work for me. It's like trying to untangle a jewelry box full of chain necklaces, outline, and get my story in mind before I write it. Uh, Because then I have the emotional arcs out. I know where to put my twists, my surprises, the pacing, the feel of it, the way it moves. It's such a, like, you know, you feel it. It's like an intuitive type of thing for me as I'm doing the outline. So then when I'm actually writing it, I know where I'm at. On the journey, when I do this by the seat of my pants, I have no clue what's going on. Yeah, so then even yeah. after, you know, it's just ugh. even if you do an outline <laughs> like for our listeners, you don't have to stick to it. It's like no, life; no, you set a goal, and you 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 use the steps you're going to take to to reach yeah. your goal, which probably will make it. I would say more likely that you'll achieve the goal if you start doing those little small steps. But you also have to stay open to change. So even if you exactly. do the outline, some some writers are like, because I didn't used to like to do an outline, but when I'm writing a novel now, I will start to at least write out just very briefly. It could be just two short sentences, what's going to happen in the next scene. That That exactly. is such a reliever for me to do that. Right. Where's the next scene going? You can stay open even with an outline, but... It is. It's. It's. It's somewhat of a guide, you know, because yes. our lives are so full and so busy. Rather than to sit down and wait for it, it's it's up the subconscious to every. No, time. you just hit the nail on the head. Having an outline in my case free actually frees me up to write the story because I know where it starts. I know where it ends. I know the emotional journey the characters have to take. Now, how they get there. I may not know that, but as long as I have the emotional journey and the the emotional trajectory of the characters, then I'm okay. Not having an outline, I don't know. So I don't know. I'm like writing the scene. Like I don't even know what she's feeling or where she at. Has she come to a decision? I don't. And that is just it. Oh, I can't tell you how frustrating. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I told him. I said, I am never doing this again. I don't care what you all say. You do for you. I have I have this little cousin. She was sitting in church one day. She was just three years old, and she had a little purse. It was Easter Sunday, and she was chewing on the handle. And one of the, her godmother was like, girl, don't do that. And she, she looked at her at three. She said, this is my purse. You do what you want okay. with your purse. This is my purse. I feel okay. like this is my book. I'll do what I want with my book. They do what they want. I outline. I'm an outliner, point blank, period. That's it. Lesson learned, lesson learned. We, we, Shonda, yes. we thank you for being with us. I, that, that hour, I always tell our guests, it it blows by. So we, we want to thank LaShonda Bowman for being here with us. We are at the top of the hour for being here with us on Off the Shelf. Radio, LaShonda, please, I encourage you to support her. Her new book, Nobody's Child, which is scheduled for a March uh, this month release, and her other books that are currently on the market that you can start reading and enjoying are My Soul is Satisfied, 
then sinks my soul, and he restores my soul. And please visit her online at LashondaBowman.com, L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A-B-O-W-M-A-N.com. Again, that's L-A-S-H-O-N-D-A-B-O-W-M-A-N.com. And please go get a copy of Love, my latest book, Love for Over Me, again by Denise Turney, e-book and print book. Format. We want to thank, again, LaShonda Bowman for being here with us, and I especially thank all of you, each of our off-the-shelf listeners. Please come back next Saturday where we will bring you another phenomenal guest. And if you are from New York City or you love New York City, you definitely going to want to tune in next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. As I always tell you, remember, you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Bye for now. LaShonda, I'll shoot you an email. Okay.